I think a lot of us use our doctrine as kind of clothing to cover our shame. Yes. And every time that doctrine is poked a little bit, it scares us. You're tuning in to Coach and Joe, conversations on friendship with God. From the worldwide studios here of Brian Fan and Chris King, welcome to the Coach and Sean Curtis Show. I can, Joe. He's gone. He's out of here. He's in the Florida Keys fishing for a week. For an intern, that dude has the most flamboyant vacations. He went to Hawaii last summer. He called me this morning. I was like, where are you? He said, I'm almost to the Florida Keys. I'm thinking, Florida Keys? But I hope he catches a lot of fish. Coach and Joe, I'm Coach. This is Sean Curtis. I met Sean Curtis... Five years ago-ish. Four. Four. In Georgetown, South Carolina. Tell the story how we met. Well, my wife Carrie and I saw an advertisement for a Naturally Supernatural conference in South Carolina. And we said, let's go. I had never been to the South in my life. I'm a West Coast guy. It was in the 20s, 20 degrees. It was freezing at the beach. I was really disappointed. You flew from San Francisco to fly in the 28 degrees. Yes. We were freezing. And we show up to the conference, and the guy that was supposed to be speaking um, had told you sometime that week or that day or whatever. That morning. That morning that he wasn't doing it, that you were doing it. 30 minutes before it started. And we had flown all the way across the country to hear the other guy. Mm-hmm. And you got on the stage and <clears throat> triggered every a insec- little disappointed. <laughs> yeah, triggered every were. insecurity I've ever had. Well, the funniest <laughs> part is, before I met you, you were, dare I say, pissed off. I was a little upset, yeah. <laughs> that the guy you came to see speak didn't speak. Yeah. And then an hour into it, you look at your wife and say, wait a minute. We read his book. Because I um, had been pastoring in some pretty traditional evangelical churches, word-based churches. And Holy Spirit started to do some stuff in our life. And I needed a grid for it. And so I started finding books that, to help me explain what was going on. And I found Signs, Wonders, and a Baptist Preacher. We I, read it. I was like, you're the one guy that read the it. The one guy. Yeah. The funniest part about that time together four years ago is we saw a lot of healings and deliverances mm-hmm. manifest pretty quickly in a Baptist church yep. in Georgetown, South Carolina. Of course it was a Baptist church. <clears throat> yes. It's like a Frank Peretti novel unfolding. I meet this guy from San Francisco who doesn't like me because I don't blame you. you well, you, it wasn't that I didn't like you. I was just a little disappointed because I was expecting someone else. I don't blame yeah. you. And then the Holy Spirit hits you. I walk up to you because you were in a little small group that I mm-hmm, left for that conference. Mm-hmm, and I mm-hmm. said, hey, dude, I'll know you the rest of my life. And you're like, sure, like, bud. Like, what does that mean? <laughs> and and four years later, here you are, you and Carrie. You are on staff at Bridgeway Church and been here for how long? Since last July. Since, so about nine months. So about nine months. And now not only not only are we brothers, but we're leading, leading local church out here at Bridgeway and I'm excited about today because I want to tackle a subject on this show that I have been wrestling through for 41 years. When's your first moment of an awareness that one day you will die? Do you remember? I don't. Mine, I was five. Wow. My grandfather died. And his death made me reflect on my own death. I don't even mean morbidly. Mm Mm-hmm. I, when I was five years old, I didn't know Paul talked about the judgment seat of Christ. I don't know who Paul is. Mm-hmm. I knew at five years old 
that one day you say, how do you know? I don't know. I knew that I would stand before Jesus Christ. I can take you to where I was. I was laying down these big rocks and I was leaning back on one of them at five. And I was looking up at some clouds. I used to look at clouds a lot when I was a kid. I was always curious of where my granddad went because they would say, uh, Father God needed more flowers in his garden. Don't say that, by the way, when someone, that's, yeah. that's not good. <clears throat> no. Yeah, it took me about 30 years of counseling to get over that theology. But I always wondered about the other side. And then you watch so many movies growing up. Mm-hmm. Hollywood is, is obsessed with the unseen realm. Mm-hmm. You agree? Mm-hmm. And... By 41 years later, it took me a while to do that math, <laughs> 41 years later, I'm going to give you a passage, and I'm in the thick of wrestling this out, okay? Yeah. To the to the tune of, I had a dream a few nights ago, and I was preaching, and I was preaching on the judgment seat of Christ pretty hard. When I say, when I hear like judgment seat, mm-hmm. I'm like, whoa, this is my fundy roots, <clears throat> here come yeah. my fundy... Okay, here we go. 2 Corinthians 5, 9 through 10. A little awkward, Paul said it. So we make it our goal to please him whether we are at home in the body or away from it. Mm -hmm. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. My uh, teenage son, well, really all three of my kids, they love to say, wait, what? Especially Sam when he was young. He'd be like, all the time, wait, what? There's probably 50 passages in the New Covenant that are wait, what moments for mm-hmm. me. Ananias and Sapphira is at the top of the food chain. Mm-hmm. This one is at the top of the food chain. So let's just start here. It's in your word. It's in my word. When I When you hear the words judgment seat of Christ... What the heck comes to your mind? Well, I I had always heard it as a tool to hurt people or scare people. Mm-hmm. So actually, whenever I would hear that, I'd kind of disassociate because mm-hmm. I didn't know what to do with it. I oh. didn't, as a kid or even when I'd be in church in, in high school or, or even past that, if people brought that up, I had no concept of what that would mean. So I literally, personally, I would just tune off. I'd turn it off. I'd disassociate from the idea. I could not engage it because to engage it evoked such fear in me um, that I had to like not even go there. So, I mean, it wasn't until recently, actually, just kind of processing some of this stuff with you that I could even engage it with uh, a sense of holy imagination and prayer. Um, Where are you currently with this concept? Um... I feel really hopeful around it. Part of it was when, when we were in San Francisco, you know, we were walking through a lot of challenges and the Lord, the way he kind of opened me up to this idea of the judgment seat was he kept telling me just invest in what is eternal. So I had all of these different things that I could do on a given day. I had, you know, the task of ministry of pastoring a church, had all these things going on, living in, in a, in a very busy, intense city and um, there are all these potential distractions, and the Lord just kept saying, just invest in what is eternal. And what he did in that was help me really focus in on the things that, when it comes to the judgment seat of Christ, are the things that would be eternal, that, that he 
would would find joy in and and so it actually helped me engage the judgment seat eventually with a sense of hope because he had already been training me on on investing what's in what's eternal um, and so I started to live my life every day through the grid of all right father what's eternal today what do you want me to put my hand to and and he started showing me different relationships that were going to be eternal uh, how love is eternal um, and how to just throw my, my time and my energy, my resources into what's eternal and that he could then hit that with his grace. Um, and then when we started exploring judgment seat of Christ, it didn't overwhelm me. I'm like, Oh Lord, you kind of prepared my heart because I'm kind of sensitive this way, prepared my heart to not be afraid of the judgment seat because you've already been showing me how to be prepared for it. Let's break down the word uh, judgment here in the Greek to be fair. It really could read the reward mm-hmm. seat of Christ. But before we go there, yep. uh, I started mentoring you, coaching you four years ago. Mm-hmm. And you've heard me over the last four years quite often mention the two words, hypergrace, mm-hmm. hypergrace. Mm-hmm. The Father has shown me there's two major ditches in his church globally, mm-hmm. the legalism camp and the hypergrace camp. Mm-hmm. Legalism camp triggers legalist, and the hypergrace camp, those words, mm-hmm. really trigger it, it, it triggers people for a reason. Yeah, I have noticed in the hyper grace camp, just just through experience, yeah. not prophetic, yeah. just what I've noticed, that the any association with judgment connected to a loving Father or loving Jesus or loving Holy Spirit, it's as though there's been a mindset that says since God's wrath was poured out upon Jesus, it may not come out explicitly say it, but it's implied all judgment has passed away. I'm going to reread real quick and mm-hmm. then ask you a couple questions. Okay. <clears throat> for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due for the things done in the body, whether good or bad. What is it about humans that go from ditch to ditch? You see legalism camps swing into such a revelation of grace, and then this message of grace has gone to places that really... Kingdom's never seen some of the, some of these teachings. Mm-hmm. Why do we have such a hard time with the idea of a loving, tender father who also judges? Hmm. I think I think part of it is that we don't want to be caught unprepared. Um. And I think a lot of us use our doctrine as kind of clothing to cover our shame. Yes. And every time that doctrine is poked a little bit, it scares us because ultimately the invitation back to Eden is to become naked and unashamed again. And anything that we're using to cover our shame, including our doctrine, when it gets poked, it scares us. But actually the Father is saying, just come and be back with me. Don't, you don't have to cover yourself with your works, with your doctrines, um, with your ideas. But we're all scared to really get undressed with the Father again and to be naked and unashamed. And so I think it provokes fear on both sides because both sides use their doctrine um, to cover themselves. I think so, too. And I've written two books mm-hmm. on identity, The Love of the Father. Yep. And over the last two years, the Father tells me that my next two books coming 
are on the fear of the Lord and on the judgment of a tender father, which those seem to be paradoxical mm-hmm. mindsets. Humans on all seven continents that I have found tend to gravitate towards ditches. I want to take a, a time travel machine, <clears throat> if you will, back to outskirts of Jerusalem, this wild man named Paul is having a conversation, probably somewhere near Rome. Who knows? It's within boat distance of where Jesus was crucified. He's having a conversation with a very important governmental figure named Felix. This is in Acts. This is not the book of Shabbat or the book of Enoch. It's canonized scripture in the New Covenant. Are you ready? This is Acts chapter 24, and this is Paul. A few days Later, Felix came back with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, sending for Paul. That's the first mistake. Don't go sniffing around the man of God unless you want to hear what the man of God has to say. Mm -hmm. Sending for Paul, they listened as he told them about faith in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Father. Amen. We're off to a good start. As he reasoned with them about righteousness and self-control and the coming day of judgment, Felix became frightened. Go away for now, he replied. When it's more convenient, I'll call for you again. <laughs> which which is the camera? Which is the camera I'm just staring to? This one or that one? Maybe just do that guy right there. Let me look right into the camera. 46 years old. Besides John Bevere's sermon on Driven by Eternity, I've been in the church my entire life. I've, besides John Bevere, never heard one sermon on what Paul is talking to Felix about. I haven't either. Not not one. Yeah, I haven't either. How old are you? 47. I'm 46. Yep. A little bit better looking. Yep. On keto. Yep. Better skin tone, a little bit thicker. <laughs> uh you're how, how how you went to seminary, I went to seminary. Yep. yep. I'm getting a doctorate. How long have you been in ministry? Uh I've been a, a I was a senior leader for almost 20 years. Uh with Wendy, I've been in ministry 22 years. Quick question. I need you to explain to me, this is in Scripture, where Paul, he's talking about righteousness, self-control, and the coming day of judgment. I've never heard a sermon minus John Bevere. One sermon. And, and so between me and you, yep. four decades of ministry, there's been one sermon total heard. Yeah. Um, I'm curious your answer to this. Why? What the heck? I don't know. You know what the Father's reminding me of right now? I don't know. The team, This is before you moved here. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Helms, who's pastoral counselor on staff at Bridgeway. About a year ago, y'all may remember this, Fannin and King, we watched Bevere's sermon, Driven by Eternity. Helms yells out at the end, why has no one ever told me this and begins to cry? Mm-hmm. He was, John was devastated. I need to have him on the show and interview him about this. Mm-hmm. Explain to what's going on here. I don't know. I, I remember being in a Bible study with... Uh, when I was doing college ministry, it was 1995 maybe, and there was a, um, it was being led, I was a college pastor at the time, and it was being led by a Campus Crusade for Christ leader, and he was talking about rewards, um, and that the Father loves to reward, and he talked about rewards in heaven, and I remember sitting there, and, and again, so I was in ministry, running a college ministry, listening to this. And I was shocked listening to this idea. I don't. It was never taught in any of the churches. I, I grew up in the Episcopal Church, the Baptist Church, 
It was never talked about. I heard that one Bible study that talked just about the rewards side of it, um, and then silence for another 20 years. This isn't going to be good for recording, but it's okay. I'm about to go grab two books. Okay. Just keep rolling. Watch this. Can we just sit in there? Yeah, just leave it. <laughs> Adds to the realness of the show. That was quick. <clears throat> uh, I'm back. Okay. Uh, I heard Todd White say one time, Todd's, he's a good guy, he said he never wants to minister from a place he's not currently walking in. I had a dream about it. I can't stop thinking about it. This isn't coming from me. Yeah. Uh, the Father sends me to this book. It's called Your Eternal Reward, written by Erwin Lutzer. More than 100,000 copies in print, which has Mama Jane's Secret beat by 100,000. <laughs> and this book, Samuel Hoyt, The Judgment Seat of Christ, I'm reading them right now. If you would have told me, if you'd have told me a couple of years ago that I'm reading these books, I would have figured, well, I'm back to my fundamentalist days, uh, taking a journey back into legalism. Small problem. By the way, I feel the Holy Spirit manifesting so strong mm-hmm. this table. Um, one of the best things, the most courageous things you can ever do is ask the Father to show you things you don't know and to trust the Word. Get your theology from the Word. Don't take your theology mm-hmm. to the Word. Mm-hmm. As I'm reading and as I'm going through the Word, there's there's not two passages on the judgment seat. It's all over the place. Mm-hmm. To, the, to the tune to where I'm like, I'm going to have to do a literal series at Bridgeway on the judgment seat of Christ. I am blown away. Two two things. I'm first blown away at mine and your, me and you, mm-hmm. our own ignorance towards truth and the word. Yep. And I'm also blown away that the more I study this, I see the tender side of reward. Yeah. Not the dark side of judgment. If yep. you if you study the word judgment, this is this is how it was back in the day. And again, this isn't I'm learning from someone else. I take no credit for what I'm about to say. Back then, you know, Paul used a lot of athletic metaphors. Mm-hmm. There was a judge that sat up on a high seat in an athletic competition. It was his call to determine who won, and he would reward first, second, third. It's where, mm-hmm. it's where what turns it, you know, Greek world Olympics, mm-hmm. right? Yep, yep. You got you got what gold medal, silver, bronze. Mm-hmm. And, and I think they were actually given crowns at the time. Yes, yes, yeah. yeah. And I don't have time to go into it. Yeah, there's some language to the church in Corinth of. Don't literally don't lose your crowns. Yep. Sean, listen, man. Um, around here, when it comes to signs and wonders, uh, my message on elevating women in leadership. There, there have been a lot of things that God's had me steward in this culture the last seven or eight years. This, even more than healing. This is going to sound ridiculous, but even more than tongues and healing. I'm having more weight, what, on this? And let me tell you why. Because in the Gospels, Jesus is always healing. As a Baptist growing up, I used to ask my parents when I was 12, why aren't we healing people? But on this one, I feel like, I feel like, I feel like Indiana Jones. What else do I not find? And I'm tearing through the scriptures, and, and I'm check marking where he stops me. Sean, this is not an obscure teaching. Yep. It is the foundational teaching yep. of the Apostle Paul. Yep. Do you, I think part of it is there was a backlash, kind of a, a swing of the pendulum. Um, in the in the 60s and 70s, there was such a, a, an emphasis on end times from a fear-based kind of mindset yep. with movies like um, In the Twinkle of an Eye and, and some of those that were, when you look back artistically, are 
are pretty funny to watch. Um, but it produced such fear in the church that then when you get into the 80s, and I, I always look at church history a little bit, with, with the attractional church model, Willow Creek, Saddleback, they totally stopped talking about that because it produced so much fear that they were just talking about the four steps on, on how to love your wife better. And so the biblical teaching just went to the, the very temporal. So I think that was part of it. It was just such a backlash on the fear that emerged in the church from some of the unhealthy teachings in the 60s and 70s into the seven steps on, on how to raise kids and, and, and be, be happy um, in the 80s and 90s <clears throat> that finally we're getting back to some really healthy biblical teaching on, on an internal perspective. And what I am learning is there's nothing new about it. It's ancient. Totally. Like yep. so much of the church yep. uh, even bashes the idea of Jesus descending into hell. It was in the Apostles' Creed. Mm-hmm. It's in the Word itself. Ephesians 4, yeah. And Peter talks yep. about it. I guess what I'm saying is I'm discovering things. They aren't new things. Right. Uh, the Holy Spirit's reminding me right now, Carol Arnott spoke at Bethel. Uh, a couple of years ago, she said the fear of the Lord's returning to the church. Mm-hmm. The fear of the Lord's beginning of wisdom. You know, eternal and temporal, the temporal doesn't really matter. Do you know that going through a long season, my wife and I have gossiped and slander and just made up lies about me, my leadership, us. Do you know what can squelch that pretty quickly? This message? Yep. I, you're, you are going to stand before yep. the Father one day. Yep. You see, for me, that doesn't scare me. To me, I'm like, well, I'm already in love with you. Yeah, I love what uh, Will Hart said. Will Hart's a good friend of mine. He's the uh, COO of of uh, Iris Ministries. Works with Heidi Baker, and he preached at the table conference this year. And the air left the room. Mm-hmm. He made the comment: Everyone who runs the race doesn't get first place. If you and I, I bless you guys as we end here, guys and gals, with this. At, go to the scriptures for yourselves. And notice how much Paul talks about perseverance, running your race as to win the prize. Maybe that's more literal. See, we think the prize is heaven. It's not. There's rank right now. I can feel this triggering people that are even listening to this. There's rank in the angelic realm. There's rank in the demonic realm. Mm -hmm. Jesus said, the Father who is greater than I am. When we get to heaven, I believe in my whole heart based on my own study, we're not rewarded for the great things we've done. We've re- we're, we're rewarded yes. based on our obedience to what he asked me to do. Yes. You agree with me on this? I, 100%. He you, just asks us to be faithful to what he says. You're a lead pastor. Yeah. God told you to lay down your position, to move across the country. He did not give you a job at Bridgeway before you moved. And as you got here, he told you, to lay down your life to help steward the vision he's given me, you're no longer a lead pastor. Yeah. Why'd you do it? Because he said. Andy Stone did it. Anwin yeah. did it. You and yeah. Carrie did it. Micah and Lindsay did it. Yeah. I told the father clearly there's three things I'll never do. I'll never homeschool my kids. I'll never move mm-hmm. back to my own hometown, and I sure won't pastor a church. Well, now I just say I'm not going to be a billionaire, <laughs> I guess. But the, the whole point is this. Re- reward is not based on competence or greatness. G- Father elevated Jesus to the highest place because he chose the cup of suffering. Yeah. This message he's showing me right now can get you through a lot of crap that other people won't walk through mm-hmm. because there's a prize at the end. Yeah. Uh, I want to close with this. I, I just bought my son a car. It's $5,500. $5,500 is a lot to me right now. 
happened a few months ago, his 16th birthday. I woke up one morning and the father said to me, my heavenly father, buy Sam a car. He deserves it. Hmm. And I sat on that and I asked him to give me more revelation on that. And he says, where Sam at is at in his maturation, his obedience, his connection to the father, he deserves it. Hmm. That doesn't necessarily mean that I will buy my 13-year-old a car when she's 16 or my 10-year-old. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Yes. A reward. I think there are gifts not just up there. Mm-hmm. There's gifts here. There's rumor. We don't know. It's debated, but Luther wanted James ripped out of the Bible. If you read the book of James, whoo, mm-hmm. it'll, it'll make you need a revelation for grace. But if you read... The Gospel of John, or even some of these other writings on grace, without revelation of James, you'll get stuck in a ditch. Paradox mm-hmm. will get you there. He, he, faith without works is dead. Yep. The Father loves us, and he's a judge. Why don't you speak a blessing over everyone yeah. they dig, dig around with this? Father, we thank you for the way that you lead us, and I just pray um, over every person that's listening that you would give them an incredible revelation on your heart's and and a revelation on what you're calling them to put their hand to, and that there will be grace um, for them to be faithful to what you're saying, and that you love to reward us when we're obedient. So, Father, we we love you, we bless you, and I just bless each person listening today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to Coach and Joe. Catch more episodes on YouTube and podcast. To take a deeper look at friendship with God, check out coachandjoe.com.